Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you F1 blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called Play Nice on the Musical Chairs. Joining me tonight... Reminiscing this and that, having such a good time. Oodle lolly, golly, what a day. It's Matt. Two rumpets. How's it going, old man? Oh, well, you know, never a dull moment here at the old household. Please don't talk about your tax return. We've had quite enough of that on the WhatsApp today. No, no, I would never talk in public about my tax return for certain very obvious reasons. And don't tell the tax people or they'll come and get you. I heard that you were driven to distraction by the lack of Formula One this weekend. It was horrible. I was so desperate. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I did? I actually watched the Fuji race, the WEC race. The tin tops? Yes, I did. But I couldn't watch all of it. I had to give up after about two hours. <laughs> Have a little granddad's half hour nap. You can't trust them, Matt. You can't even tell if there's really a driver in there. Well, you can based on how erratically they go. And they have about 17 drivers per team. How can you follow that? Ridiculous. Uh well, you know, they announce it all for you. They're very clever there. But do you know what was great about it? Like tell I me. said, I could only watch about a couple hours of it. When I got up this morning, I opened up my app. And do you know what was there waiting for me? It's going to be some common sense thing F1 should have, isn't it? It was the entire race. Now, I paid for the race, and when it was over, it's still on my device, and it was divided up into hours so I could go right back to where I left off and watch the rest of it. See, you and me, cord cutters, we need that kind of technology in F1. And really, at the moment, Formula One only caters to people who have a Skybox, Sky Plus, or a Freeview recorder. But for people like me who don't have any live TV apart from internet, streaming in, if you miss the race, there's no, it's like going back to the 80s. You've got to wait until the scheduled time to watch your replay. Yeah, no, it, it's really rather tragic. And, and they're missing out a lot. And I don't know. I mean, we were talking about Lewis last week. But I tell you, you know where my daughter finds most of her stuff is on YouTube. And they're making it harder and harder to put clips of Formula One on YouTube. I think it's not going to help them find a new audience. But anyway. Do you know who our audience should find on YouTube? It's, well, if you remember a couple of weeks back, we were lucky enough to get Anna Pancaldi on the show because we used to interview young up-and-coming artists, didn't we, Matt, in a previous podcast? I do, I do. I remember her. She was particularly good, I thought. She's amazing. So she, she jumped back on. She's in the middle of a US tour. She was in Paris doing a show. She's just released a new single. And bam, she is played on Radio 2 on the Dermot O'Leary show. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not taking credit for that, but a bit of a coincidence, Matt. It is. Correlation is definitely causation in this instance. Definitely. No, no, no. Uh, Anna Pancaldi, destined for big things. Why not go back to our Singapore review? And we did a little interview with her at the end. We're definitely claiming Anna as Missed Apex alumni. So, for those of you just finding us, we are an independent F1 podcast hosted by SpannersReady.com. That's me, Spanners Ready, the home of F1 articles and very shortly Formula E stuff too. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first 
This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or in the car and at work. Joining us today, Downforce commentator Ryan Ferret-Ferris. How's it going, Ryan? It's going brilliant. Thanks, Banners. How are you? Come on, bring the enthusiasm enthusiasm you have at the racetrack to the podcast. I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Spanners. You know, you got to give me some something to argue about or, uh, you know. Get you passionate, something to get you yeah. wild. It couldn't be that big bottle of beer you've got next to you that you don't have when you're commentating, could it? Um, no, I'm on gin and tonic today. Wow, mother's ruin. Yeah. Did not see that coming and very excited for our final panellist this week. It's Craig Norman, editor of BadgerGP.com. How's it going, Craig? Hi, Spanners. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, we love BadgerGP. It's uh, it's the, the friendly outsiders of Formula One media. So we're the in-betweeners of F1. No, I just think it's a, <laughs> it's a place you go when you don't need to take F1 massively seriously and get angry at anyone who doesn't like your driver. That's that's kind of need to say. I think that's the sort of vibe we're going for. So that's nice to hear. Obviously, that's not the vibe here. Um, unless you're a Lewis <laughs> Hamilton fan, this is a very hostile environment. Are you a Lewis okay, Hamilton well, um, fan? Uh, I am a fan of Formula One in general. And of course, by definition, then the F1 champion along with that. OK, let's go on <laughs> to a topic. Yes. Well, what's been dominating the F1 news this week is a big move in the driver shuffle. I think we thought Sergio Perez was going to be the driver, but it looks like Nico Hulkenberg is setting the cogs of the driver market in motion. Craig, we saw on your site, did you write it on Badger GP about why it's a it good indeed, move? Yes. Why it's a good move for Nico Hulkenberg? Do we make you state that? I, I disagree. I honestly disagree with you. So let's hear let's hear the case if you're prepared, Craig, of why this is a good move for Nico Hulkenberg. This is a, this is a move that's probably he's been waiting for his entire career, and it's something that he can throw caution to the wind for as well. Because if it does work, he's in a manufacturer team which is going to be well funded, well staffed, and probably extremely competitive. And if it doesn't work, he's going to be an above average way. He's going to have an above average wage on the midfield of the grid. He'll just go to the WEC and carry on what he achieved last year there. So it's it's a safe bet for him in a way, but it's also a good gamble in a way. So it's almost like a win-win. So are we saying that Nico Hulkenberg is at the point in his career where he's basically, what you're describing if you're a snooker player, is a shot to nothing, basically. He's going for the pot, but it's going to end up reasonably safe in any case. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's the way to look at it. I think... Um, if you look at Force India at the moment, yes, they're competitive. And yes, Sergio Perez has bagged a couple of podiums this year, which are incredible. But um, would I would I want to stay there if I know the funding's a little bit iffy, to say the least? Oh, so, but, but they, you know, they, I think it's... Yeah. This is the thing with Force India. They seem to start seasons strong, but they're not good at the development game. And so you can see they've got the talent and the ideas there. But when it comes to just the raw processing power of getting those development out, developments out through the season, they seem to struggle. Yeah, well, I I don't really think it's a good uh, move. I think it might end up, it might be another Sauber move where he goes from Force India to Sauber and then goes, this was a bit of a mistake. Uh, it's not as good as I thought it might be. And then moves back to Force India. Well, see, that's where you're entirely wrong. (laughs) I have two words for you, my friends. Don't mince them. Bob Bell. Do you know where Bob Bell was in the early aughties? Uh, Ryan was seven in the early aughties, so no, he doesn't know. And explain it to any younger viewers as well. Uh, For those of you who weren't around for these years, he was with Renault back when they won their World Drivers and World Constructors Championships. Do you know where he was between 2011 and 2014? Um, April off. Mercedes. Yes, he was technical chef du at Mercedes <laughs> when they developed their rear end kicking world dominating car. And then he popped off to Mana for a bit. And now he's back at Renault as their technical chief. Uh, I, I see it as being a brilliant move for Hulkenberg because I, I think Craig has the right of it. Force India is pretty much at their ceiling, given their funding. They are getting every last drop of money optimized in that car. Renault, on the other hand, they've got nothing but upside potential, I think particularly with Bell 
back in the roost. All right, then. So let's go to Craig, because let's let's start with what he's leaving at Force India. Is Matt right? They've hit their ceiling because they're creeping past Williams. So is fourth, realistically, all they're ever going to do. But is fourth, the fourth best team a good enough place for him to showcase his talent to the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari? Well, those six seats ahead of Force India, if Force India were to finish fourth on the grid, so you've got Red Bull, Mercedes and Ferrari have got drivers locked down for the next couple of years and then they've got all got young drivers programs that are all got phenomenal names attached to them so force india is probably the best he's going to get at the moment um but they are working the most efficient they're probably the most efficient f1 team on the grid at the moment in regards to how much they're getting out of the budget that they've got so a jump to renault is probably a perfect thing for him because it's going to be a well-funded team in the future and this is something that is an investment in two years time Renault could be there or thereabouts no problem okay so let's talk about that Matt because this is where you and I have disagreed especially with Anil I I don't see good things coming from Renault I know you're saying they've got Bob Bell but by their own admission they've struggled to convince staff members that they've got the ambition and the ability to go on and they have been trying to develop this year and that's not necessarily done well for them they've gone backwards down the grid even though they've been trying to develop. What's going to be different in the next couple of years to make this a good move for Nico Hülkenberg? Well, I think there's a couple of things that, that will be very important. Number one, you have to look at this year's car as a lagging indicator of where their program is going to go because Bell only joined them in 2016, I think February, if I'm correct. So this year's car was already a done deal. I think you have to look at their engine as having made massive improvement and being open for even more improvement next year with the uh, demise of the token system. But this is a point that I want to make. I think for Hulkenberg personally, if you look at every place he has been, he has always been there as much on merit as on sponsorship. And where he is with Perez and Force India, there is no way he will ever be their number one or their lead driver. He goes to Renault right now whoever he winds up with, he has a proper shot to be a number one driver, not just in the sense the team favors him, but in a sense that he is the best driver and that is his team. He has a chance to make his own team. And at his age, those chances are few and far between, especially if you look at his career overall. Yeah, Ryan. Well, oh, pardon me. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, We will. You're wrong. I I probably am. Um, Didn't... Renault start this season effectively their car was the Lotus but with a Renault engine in the back of it and just a bit evolved yeah that's correct so essentially last year's Lotus the only thing that really allowed them to get the odd good result was the fact that they had the Mercedes engine in the back of it and now they've gone into the Renault and to be honest I think Next season, thinking about it next season will be their first year where they've had a proper car where they'll be able to build from the ground up or, or whatever. So it will be a Renault car, not a Lotus that's badged up as a Renault. And and Craig, you think this is a good thing, basically? For me, Renault is probably the safest bet that Hulkenberg has because the investment will come. I read uh, there's a piece on motorsportmagazine.com by Mark Hughes at the moment saying that um, Renault only has 470 employees, but they can max capacity is 650. And this is a team that probably six years ago, I think it was, out-developed Red Bull. They were like they were putting the parts out as quickly as they could. So if they get the staff in place and they get all of their um, facilities up and running, they're just going to be a phenomenal team on the grid to watch. Okay, and then who do we think is going to be his teammate then? Because that's another big move in the driver shuffle. With Hulkenberg confirmed, that definitely means that either Magnussen or Palmer are going to go. I think I think answer all in nods. I think does anyone think that Palmer's got a chance of surviving at Renault? I I don't think so. We're getting lots of shaked heads. No. Ryan, do you think so? Mm, no, because I went in. The thing that sort of made me think about it is obviously one of their main sponsors at the moment is Jack Jones Clothing uh, brand, and I went into a Jack Jones shop and it was pretty much plastered in pictures of Magnuson like in all their clothing and yeah. there's no pictures of Palmer. So I sort of thought, 
They must think that Magnuson must be the higher up person than. Uh... Yeah, and and Palmer's a clothes horse, so if he was staying with the team, you'd want you'd want him in your gear. But we've heard, and this is not a wild rabbit source. Don't worry, don't worry, listeners. I know you don't like wild rabbit as a, as a source. This is third hand to Palmer, and I trust all the sources to it. Palmer himself doesn't think he's going to be in Formula One next season. So I think this leads us on to Ocon. Uh, do, what what of what of he, Matt? Because he has possibly not shamed himself against Wehrlein. Wehrlein? Wehrlein. 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 Yeah, this is Wehrlein. Yeah, no, he is... Um... He, he's starting to pull even. He did better at the last race, although he's also been lucky. Pascal has struggled a bit, especially, I think, at Japan to get the car properly set up. But Pascal has experience with the Force India, and Ocon being um, Spanish, not French, but Spanish, uh, but with a French name, seems like he would be a good fit at Renault, and he's long been mentioned for it. But what I've also seen bandied about on the internets is Botas, possibly yeah. uh, being talked to as well. I was curious if Craig had any information about that. Yeah, because he's not confirmed, is he, Craig? He's not confirmed, no, because he wants a single-year deal so he can be free for 2018, but Williams want to sign him up for two years. If we have Hulkenberg and Bottas in a, in a team like Renault, that's that's a serious lineup, uh, and that's that gets me excited. I'd like to have those two drivers together. With, with Ocon, uh, his ownership is a little bit um, skew-if, if if I'm reading things right, he's a Mercedes junior who's on loan at Renault, but is sat in a manor seat, which is a Mercedes-backed team, and now he's being linked with a Renault drive. So what if he goes there, spends two years there, does really well, is there going to be a mass fight over his ownership? Yeah, I mean, he is officially the reserve driver at Renault as well, isn't he, Craig? Yes. That's a weird... Which... He, he's much sought after, isn't he? Uh, and, and also Force India have an interest in him as well as a potential driver. Yeah, so he could yeah. fill the, the vacancy that Hulkenberg creates. But you could arguably say that the line could end up going there. Ocon could stay at Manor uh, and Bottas could go to Renault, which is it's all mixed up at the moment from all the, whichever source you hear from. Yeah, um, I think Bottas would be a brilliant driver to have at Renault because I've, been, I've spoken to a few people who work for uh, Williams and they were saying how ridiculously good he is at giving feedback to the team on where the car needs to be improved that the tyres uh, my tyres I reckon will go off in three laps time and what happens the tyres go off in three laps time and it is ridiculous how how well he is at reading the car so I think if Renault want to get the car up and competitive they need someone like Bottas in the car Matt? Yeah and don't forget who else is also floating around in the wings is Pierre Gasly, who I know everyone thinks will be taking Fiat's spot in Toro Rosso next year. But Renault, it is a Renault engine, and Red Bull are running Renault engines, so there's a possibility they might be pushing him there if they want to give Fiat a little more time in the Toro Rosso. I don't think they do. But I tell you what, this has got to be the most interesting midfield driver silly season that we've had for years, Matt. I mean... We have got so many different combinations of where drivers could end up. Yeah, no, and and don't forget that if if we boot Ocon and Verline, then we're going to have two open seats at Manor, and Manor is looking to be much more promising yeah. next year yeah. than they have been in previous years. So. Go on then, Ryan. Yeah, and it end. seems really weird that silly season has sort of started quite late this year because yeah. usually it's around the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix that we'd start to get rumours like this. But it seems that the driver market's sort of taken a lot longer to sort of develop and we're suddenly all of a sudden Hulkenberg Hulk going to Renault it's just suddenly exploded again. I think that's because a lot of the options on drivers tend to be... Um... They have to be activated by September these days. So I think that's why you saw the button announcement uh, at Monza and why Massa announced his retirement at the same time because then they also wanted that sort of time of year is where the contracts are written in at the moment. All right, then, and call me slightly psychic because when I was on Pitboard on Downforce Radio... This is Downforce Radio. Well, it's not. It's sort of. You can find us there. But we're good friends with Downforce Radio. And when I was on Jake Sanson's show Pitboard, I said, I predicted that Martini might struggle with Lance Stroll. 
because he's not 21 and that might affect their US advertising. But isn't it funny that the reports are now that they are having to delay the official announcement, even though it's all but done, because Martini are objecting to him not being 18 yet. It's excellent. It's such a great piece of <laughs> of almost anti-marketing. Um, but on the plus side, when he does turn 18, he's going to have a hell of a party. I don't think he's going to struggle to uh, avoid uh, afford the bunting for his 18th birthday celebration, is he? But uh, yeah, I Craig, do you agree with me? I said that F1 has to get ready for Lance Stroll. He is prepared. He is well funded. He's been practicing in a two-year-old um, in a 2014 Williams. He's not someone who's coming into this raw. He's like Lewis Hamilton and drivers of that generation and previous who did a lot of testing before they got into F1. I think he is ready for F1. I think he's he's had a great season when you look at the results he's managed to put together. And it's just the the key thing you said there is the second thing you used to describe him was well-funded, which yeah. puts him further up the grid compared to everyone else, which is the name of the game at the moment. But... But it's not even the I 25 think... million he paid to Williams to get the seat or the reported 25 million. It's just the amount he could throw into his practice and preparation. Apparently, they had Anthony Davison setting up his car for him. That can't be cheap. No, that can't be cheap at all. Um, and But if that's what he needs to get ahead in the game, then go for it. Yeah, well, if it were me and I going back to Renault, if I was going to hire anyone, I think Anthony Davison would be the person to hire. Because, boy, hasn't he been at a lot of very successful teams as a, as a development driver? Hmm. Where have we heard that before? Oh, Anyway. Just, go, just going back to the last stroll quickly, um, while it will be great to see a new young talent come on the grid, I think next year he may have some problems ahead of him because of the new regulations, the fact that the car's going to be more powerful, more downforce, wider tyres. Not many people are going to have experience with that, and he may struggle straight off. And if these cars are going to be harder to drive, and he's coming in at this sort of time, he may struggle. If he came in a year earlier, if he came in last year, say if this was 12 months down the line, for example, um, he might have a better shot of it, but he may struggle next year. Yeah, he might, but so might anybody who who joined after the um, the Hamiltons and the Raikkonens and the Alonsos, because who who really got to drive those V10s anyway? Uh, who, who got to drive the cars with that, that kind of power? Not, not so many of the current members of the grid, but I tell you what I'm looking for, and I, Williams will have to, I do not trust Williams to deliver anything at this point, but Ooh. they have to deliver Stroll close on the grid to Verstappen because, oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> am I not the only one who really wants to see what they're going to do to each and, other? And let that battle take place somewhere near Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you were trying to get in, and then we'll go, we'll talk about McLaren quickly before moving on. Well, I'm thinking that if, the idea is that Bottas might go to Renault. Does that mean that potentially Alex Lynn could take Bottas's place at Williams? Anyone heard anything? Uh, it's possible. Williams have a history of promoting their test drivers. So they did it with Hulkenberg and they did it with Bottas. There's no reason why they couldn't do it with Lynn. He's a proven racing driver at the GP2 level. He wouldn't be out of place on the F1 grid, but it would may seriously damage their marketing capabilities in when it comes to getting sponsorship and they need sponsorship to keep going at the level that they're at. Okay. And let's, uh, let's finish off with McLaren. We've talked about this recently, but only because I found out that Craig agrees with me. Otherwise I never would have put it into the show <laughs> schedule, but uh, 2017 loads of people think that that's going to be the breakout year for Honda. Matt stating that because of a lack of the engine token regulations, they're going to be basically free to fire and catch up with Mercedes coupled with this so-called best chassis on the grid. Uh, they're going to be amazing next season. I just, I just don't see it. From 2012 onwards, 2013 in particular, they've just been woeful. Why is next year going to be different? So the short answer is no. The long answer is probably, if you look back at how McLaren have handled rule changes, let's go back to the last major one, 2009. They didn't deal with that very well. They um, struggled a bit when the turbos came in as well. So... I just can't see it. And I'm really sorry that I know a lot of McLaren fans. I know a lot of people that work for McLaren, but I just can't see it happening anytime soon. Matt? Happily enough, you're entirely wrong because what everybody <laughs> is missing, I mean, and missing and missing and missing, is the fact that Honda will finally have a turbocharger powerful enough for the rest of the engine that they have designed. And this will give them a massive improvement in performance, number one. And number two, with regards to the chassis, 
you know, I don't know that I buy in all circumstances. It's as good as a Mercedes or a Red Bull or arguably the Ferrari, although in certain tracks of Ferrari has definitely been a bit of a dog. But they have Peter Prodromo, who was Nui's protege. And I think they're going to do a much better job with the aero part of the switch. And let's remind ourselves that the main switch in 2017 is going to be aero-related, the shape of the car. I think they're going to be in much better shape. Does this mean that they're going to be challenging for race wins? I don't think next year. But I think you will see them dicing with a Ferrari and a Red Bull and, and the top, uh, you know, uh, joining the top tier again and not just beginning to emerge from the uh, midfield. You know, that's that is a good point, which is that everyone's now saying this is really going to be an aero an aero championship again but surely the engines are still going to play a big part and i really don't have the faith you've got that there's some magic key to unlocking the honda power unit it was a turbocharger i mean look at look mclaren won we know mclaren won the formula e tender for season five and forward for energy management and they did it because in particular they were impressed with mclaren's management of electrical and energy in inside their their engine their management systems this is going to be huge and huger and even more huge like going forwards especially to formula one where every extra erg you can wring out of your car will matter more and more yeah ryan well i'm a big mclaren fan but i'm sort of wondering are we starting to become like Liverpool supporters? And yes. Say, this is our year. <laughs> this is our year. We're going to win this year. That's an amazing analogy and definitely apt. See, the problem was when I was a kid, Craig, you and me look around the same age. Everyone was a Liverpool fan when we were in primary school because they were massively successful. And then they've been bitter all the way through secondary school in our 20s and 30s. Yeah, that's pretty much how I describe it. That's absolutely spot on. I wonder if it's, the it's same almost like that. it's almost like Man United fans for the last couple of seasons as well. It's just it's people that are used to success not getting the success and then having to rationalise why the success isn't coming and then clawing at it for so long. <laughs> oh, I love seeing how angry Matt gets and most of our listeners. Sorry, sorry. I hope we're wrong. I hope for your sake we're wrong. Uh, they're a great British establishment, and I hope they can come back strong. It's just they haven't given us enough to sort of let us have that level of faith let's go on to a bit of listener feedback firstly missed apex podcast would like to send a big congratulations to listener patrick green on the birth of his new child. Congratulations, Patrick, who's written into the show before uh, on a sibling for Jude. And we have to say top kudos for giving your actual child the middle name Ayrton. <laughs> There's a big Brilliant. celebration from right. It's absolutely fantastic. He's going to go through his life with such a, with firstly, you know, a, a culturally different middle name, something interesting, something steeped in history. And he can't not be a Formula One fan now. You've, you've stamped that onto him for life. Well done. Yeah, but you got, you got to have it. So if uh, your kid is called Ayrton, your kid has got to say, no, it's not Ayrton, it's Ayrton. Is that how it's actually pronounced, is it? And we it's all pronounced Ayrton. Oh, right. So we've been all coming across as terribly uncouth by saying Ayrton. Yeah, because I think it goes back to uh, Murray Walker called him Ayrton and then he started calling him I Ayrton. And mm -hmm. uh, all the all the listeners were writing and saying, why, why are you all of a sudden up, up his backside calling him I Ayrton all the time? And then uh, he had an interview. He went back to calling him Ayrton and uh, Ayrton had an interview with him and said, what happened to calling me my real name? It's I, Ayrton. Ah, well, there we go. We've all learned something. Anyway, congratulations, Patrick Green. Uh, okay, and okay. so two more emails from listeners. Let's start with a good one from Ben, who just wanted to say, he says, I just want to say, send a message thanking you for putting the time and effort into making Mist Apex. You're welcome. There'll be loads of people who feel exactly the same, but don't take the time to say so. Tell that to Mrs. Spanners. <laughs> but uh, we do get people telling us that so we do appreciate that he ben continues i've been listening pretty much from the start as it lets me be part of an f1 conversation that i'd struggle to have with my mates and family the lineup and personalities are great and it all feels very natural brilliant stuff 
I'd love to be able to join the chat room but during the shows, but they're generally on over bedtime, so it's hard. Yes, we understand that. We all have to negotiate with our wives as well over bedtime routines to get people people on. He also says he's contributed to the Patreon, which is absolutely fantastic, in the hopes that we'll still be going by the time his kids are old enough to sort themselves out for bedtime and he can join the live chat. So, Matt, we're locked in now with his contribution. We're locked in for the next seven or eight years at least. Excellent. No worries. It's done. So I have to say the chat room is a little bit less than lively at the moment, but we do have a few suggestions that perhaps some of our listeners think Botas might be a tad overrated. Ooh, what say you, Craig? Well, I can see their point, but I don't agree with it. Um, I think Botas is a great talent and a fantastic racing driver. Um, uh, I think he's he really outperformed uh, Massa, and Massa was a great racing driver as well. Was uh, though I can see was. you putting that face, Spanners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I can see your point there as well. But I, you know, Bottas has proved himself time and time again in F1. He in 2014 he was one of my drivers of the year in some of the performances he put in. In the first ever Russian Grand Prix as well, he nearly got pole as well, and many people forget that um, and would have beaten you know the dominant Mercedes drivers. So. I'd have him in the team if I yeah. was a fantasy. If I was if I was playing the Badger GP fantasy Grand Prix game, oh, hello. which nice you plug. should do, <laughs> um, Bottas is in my team, uh, and for, rightly so. He does score points on a regular basis. And who can forget that cracking? Was it a pole position in in Canada in interchangeable conditions as well? That was third on the grid. Yeah, so which he was, was amazing. In the, at the time. So he was in the um, FIA photo, and when <laughs> Vettel was doing the finger, Bottas brought out the thumb. <laughs> but that was that was in the period where Williams were really dog rotten last. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan? Yeah. I think Bottas was amazing, but I don't know if it's me, but it somewhat feels like he's lost his shine a little bit this season. Well, you know, it could be just one of those things when some drivers are at their best when there's either they're either right at the back or there's something really to fight for. Williams have been neither here nor there this season. Yeah, but if we're going to talk about Williams, why can't we talk about Hulkenberg and his amazing performance in Brazil that one year he drove for them? That that's to me, true. That's, that, a little, that, that's that's a little bit far away though in the in the sands of time. Now that's six years ago. Bottas has been consistent for the last two. Um, I can see your point though. I can see where you're coming from. Um, but you know, for me, Bottas is just he's a, a finished racing. He's a finished racer. He's maximum attack every time and. That that's it harks back to Hakkinen and drivers like that for me, and I can see that that sort of fire in him. I'd I'd say that he's probably has been off the boil this year, but the Williams hasn't been as competitive, and he was linked with Ferrari for a long period of time as well. So that might have turned his eye. He could realise that he needs to be further up the grid. So, you know, I'm not making excuses for him, but uh, I, um, still, I still rate him. And 
Go on, Matt. You know who else is finished and loses interest when he doesn't see a way up to the front part of the grid? No idea. Can't can't think. Yuha Kankinen. No. <laughs> Kimi Raikkonen. Oh, Sorry, right, really. Had to do it. Had to say it. And speaking of the chat room, yes, it's a little bit underpopulated on a non-race weekend, but it gets manic after races. We live stream usually around half past seven after a race. Obviously, it's going to be a a little bit tricky with the Austin Grand Prix and the Mexican Grand Prix. We haven't quite decided. I think we are going to do like a midnight show, but we'll keep you posted. You can go to SpannersReady.com, click menu, go to the live stream tab. Or you can go to Ustream and search Spanners Ready and join in the fun there. Then the next email, not so good, not so good, don't accuse me of only reading the good ones, Matt, uh, is from Patrick Daly. Now, I had a great back and forth with Patrick, as I do with a lot of people who email me at spannersready at gmail.com. But I'll I'll read his initial email because we we found common ground. He said, I want to start off by saying I love the podcast and I've listened to every episode since I discovered it towards the beginning of the season. I've just finished listening to the Japanese review And I just want to say, it wasn't much of a Grand Prix review. I don't think the episodes are normally like this, but I noticed that this episode especially, there was almost no discussion of the actual racing, or even qualifying. This episode was more of a discussion of all the drama surrounding the weekend. Literally, the only bit of on-track action you discussed was the bad start and Max's defence. I will say that the group was surprisingly unbiased regarding the Max defence. So the episode really focused on Lewis and not much more. Uh, so that was the accusation he levelled at us, Matt. To be fair, I, I take on board what he was saying, but we've got two points. We've got how we structure the show and the fact that there really wasn't a great deal of on-track action at Japan. Yeah, and, and that's where I would start. We made a very conscious decision not to go, all right, on lap one, Mercedes yeah. did this, Ferrari did this, because, oh my God, you just stick a fork in your eye. You are done if you do that. I think, personally, the race is the stuff we remember we talk about. And a Japanese Grand Prix, what we talked about was what drew everybody's attention. I think in terms of driving, I think you had the Ricardo and Verstappen thing going on maybe a little bit. You had a lap or two of a vowel, and you could always bang on about Ferrari and strategy, which I think we mentioned a bit. But yeah. not a lot really happened. It was one of those races. It was very strategic, and everybody kind of hit their marks. I fell asleep during the Japanese Grand Prix, but I, ha- I, in my defense, I was up late commentating on um, sim racing. Six hours of sim racing commentary, Katie, on your own, and Jake Sanson left you completely in the lurch. Don't want to call him out uh, for that. You know, uh, Suzuka's not amazing for overtaking. So we sort of we made that decision early on in producing this, Matt, that we didn't want to do a blow-by-blow, a lap-by-lap, and a team-by-team. And I will give credit where it's due to a podcast uh, called F1 Blog, which is which is a big independent podcast as well with um, with uh, negative camber, Todd, forgotten his surname. But they, every single race review, they go through all the teams, whether something great happened to them or not. And they're very good at finding something to talk about with those teams. But for us, I sometimes feel like you'd be talking about the same thing week after week with teams. And we decided that we were going to talk to people who had seen the race as well. So we didn't need to call the race to them, if you know what I mean. We didn't need to reiterate what happened in the race. We wanted to focus in on the topics we were talking about. And last week, it just so happened that Snapchat gate was massive. It was everywhere and everyone had an opinion on it. We needed to focus down on that. And then, of course, obviously for the championship, it's the championship run-in. So... Him losing places at the start was key. Him, his fight back was absolutely key through the race. And then the sort of thing we focus in on on a major talking point uh, is the the incident with Max blocking him. Obviously, Max's defense is a big talking point. So yes, I take on board the criticism, Patrick, but it just so happened that it was a, a Lewis Hamilton heavy uh, episode last week. We'll, we'll do our best to not talk about him at all. Well. You know, Grand Prix at the moment tend to be broken down into key moments, and Japan was a lot like that. Yeah. Um, it was an intriguing race from start to finish, but the big talking point of the on-track action was Lewis Hamilton's start and Max Verstappen's defence. Yeah. Um, it's And some races are like that, and you can't go through an F1 podcast without talking about what happened with Snapchat last weekend, and <laughs> you're going to get so I many know. different varying opinions on, on something like that. So it's it's only... 
it's only right to uh, balance it correctly. And I think I thought the show last week did a great job of that. Oh, thank you very much. But yeah, no, it is a very conscious decision from us guys that we, we watch the race. We, we, we talk about what happened before the race. We pick out two or three major talking points and then any other business. Um, we, we, we will probably never get into the business of doing a two hour podcast where we, where we cover all the tracks. So apologies for that. If that's uh, what you are after. Okay. Thank you very much for the uh, the email, Patrick, and uh, we'll definitely bear those things in mind. Let's move on to a little bit of... Big Dirty News. I mean, mostly just because I like playing that, Matt, but some of the 2017 rule changes have come to light, and credit to F1 Fanatic who were the source that I've got these for. There were some very interesting rule changes and some that are not so interesting. Things like helmet change designs, uh, more wet weather tyres. I think that's good common sense because that means that in practice people will be running around the track and the people who've paid will get to see some running. But the interesting ones for me, Matthew, are the higher fuel allocation and the no stockpiling of power unit elements. What, What took your fancy in those rule changes? Well, I was going to point out for those who are really interested in the 2017 rules that Summers has done, I think, not one but two tech times looking at the entirety of the rule changes and how it's going to affect the cars and the arrow and stuff like that. Yeah. And those are available on SpannersReady.com. Nice. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. Um, the stockpiling came up after Lewis stockpiled engines at Spa. It had been done before. It was particularly obvious that he was doing that. And and the FIA reacted by saying, okay, you can basically take one new power unit, but if you continue to take extra additional elements above and beyond that, you're going to be, once again, paying a penalty over multiple races, if I remember the wording correctly, because it's not on the show notes. Ahem. Oh, sorry. Not that's okay. I'm just having to go off of off of my increasingly poor memory because you know I'm old and doddering at this you point. You really are. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, and so so that was that was, but that was later than the initial set of 2017 regs. As far as the higher fuel goes, I would imagine that's to compensate for the increased downforce and drag that the cars will encounter next year. Although I don't know that for sure. That's more speculation for me. See, I, Craig, I don't know if you'll agree with me. I think that the the no stockpiling power unit elements was a bit of an overreaction to the, the kerfuffle. I mean, Mercedes weren't the first to do it with Lewis Hamilton. And also, a team, the ability to stockpile just meant that a team or driver that was in that position wasn't massively hurt. The ability to stockpile meant that once you were in dire straits, you could kind of soften the blow a little. Is it necessary? Well, yes. It's it's uh, it was a loophole that other teams have exploited, but having the the championship leaders do it means it's yeah, going to be in the public it. eye a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I don't agree with it mostly because I just don't agree with these 55 grid penalties. That you know, it's, it, when someone says they've got a 55 grid penalty, they don't. They've just got several. They've just got ten pieces of the car change so it to me it made sense to put something in the rule so they didn't do it but it also doesn't give them a loophole in that rule which is stockpile the engines one race you can just rule out and you can sit at the back of the grid and then you're fine for the rest of the season you need to have that consistent punishment if your engines keep breaking down yeah, but I was trying to I was trying to think, Matt, how could anyone actually practically take advantage of this rule? It would be very difficult to, to really deliberately game the system. Yeah, well you're not really gonna game the system per se. You're just gonna, you know and again, this this has always been something that bugs me about the power unit rule in the first place, which is the teams don't build the power units. Yeah. So why are exactly are they being if I sign up with Ferrari for a season supply of engine and I go through a season supply of engine in the first three races because they've built them poorly. Why am I as a team being punished for that? I've long felt like the punishment 
for the engine manufacturers should be they should have to supply as many engines as the teams need (laughs) at a fixed cost. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe they should just say, right, contract for availability, basically. Instead of buying a set number of power units, they contract for the available usage and race miles of five power units throughout the season. And I think as as, as long as that spirit was kept in mind... You don't need to maybe penalise the teams when one unit blows up. You can, you can, do, unless you can demonstrate that they've got some advantage from that. Well, the argument that could be made, because now I've I've thought about it for a second, since you finally engaged some small, minute percentage of my massive intellectual capacity, would be, of course, as the engines gain <laughs> mileage. What you didn't like that? I thought it was pretty. Good. I don't like the Is implication the en- that you're intelligent. You're a musician. If you were intelligent, you'd have done something worthwhile with your life. I did something fun with my life. That makes me intelligent (laughs) and everybody else jealous. Drinking and blowing through a tube does sound fun. It is so much fun, but I digress. The engines lose horsepower as they gain mileage. And I think the set of the engine cycles was basically meant to ensure that you're competing with engines of roughly the same mileage if you if you exploded an engine at every race and started with a brand new engine Mm. versus someone who had four power units and made them last you will see an advantage there it's like cricket though if i would go on i would still argue no engine manufacturer would let you do that if you paid 15 million dollars for a season's worth of engines (laughs) it would cost them too much money uh, cricket fans. Surely, surely that's the tortoise and the hare, though. If you have a team that's blowing up engines at every race, they're never going to score, and you're going to have exactly. a team that has yeah. very, very well managed engines. They're going to score points. So, I don't see an advantage of having a faster car that then blows up. No, uh, just maybe... unless you were blowing up the cars in practice and then starting the races ah, in engines. So enough. there's the loophole to that. But in general, I think yeah, Matt, you, you make a good point, Craig which is, again, it, it, it's hard to game these systems, so I don't really understand why they need to clamp down and get draconian on them. But Matt, I was thinking about cricket fans will appreciate this. When you destroy a cricket ball, they've got a collection of cricket balls of similar ages that they then go through and you see the umpires picking it out. They could do that with engines. They could line up engines. You could see the stewards picking out a similarly aged engine. Anyway, that's just one for cricket fans. Were you trying to get in with something else, Matt? No, 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 I was, I was just going to uh, agree with Craig a little bit. And then you started talking about cricket, and I got very confused because over here, crickets are insects that make lots of noise. No, no, it, it's like baseball, but logical. Longer, you mean? Longer. Yes, there we go. Very good. It's more, more of a time festival to drink than beer a game. It is, more, it is more a place to go and, and meet people <laughs> of like mind than a sport. <laughs> Sorry, Gong Matt. No, no, that that was. I, I think we're unless you had anything else on that. That those are my always been my thoughts. Oh, I was going to agree with him about the multi race penalties. Yeah, do you remember? The, you remember how the press held the FI up to utter mockery and ridicule for these hundred and eighty place penalties that had to be served over umpteen races, nary two years ago, and now they're once again reversing course. So I think there's a larger element that a lot of people would agree with, which is just the reactive nature, the constantly reactive nature of the FIA regulations in this age of the internet and constant coverage of everything is just, it doesn't make the sport look good and it makes it hard for your uh, less high information fan to follow. You can just say me and Ryan, it's fine, we're right here, we won't take offense. No, I'm not even talking about you. I'm talking about people who just happen to casually cross paths with it on on whatever pay TV they happen to have paid for. Okay, Matt, you remember me and you when they first brought in these fuel regulations and the 100 kilograms of fuel rule. They are now changing it so it's 105 kilograms of fuel. Is this significant or is it just to make up for the heavier cars? I think it's just to make up for the heavier right. cars and the added downforce. See, is this is this just to ensure that they get that five kilo fuel in the engine ready for uh, the test at the end of the oh, is that um, it? session? No, right. Sorry, okay. I'm just going to bumble my way through that. No, that's we, fine. We remember um, Sebastian Vettel fuel pump failing down. He didn't have enough fuel in there to pass the test, so he was put at the back of the grid. Oh, that's was right. that it? Uh, 2012. Yeah. So is that something that's been taken into account, and they just upped it a little bit there? Possibly. Maybe. I mean, you're, you're required to have, I think, a liter of fuel for them to test mm. left over at the end. 
It's a shame for me as one of these shallow F1 fans. It's heartbreaking me for me to think that they have to conserve fuel. When you hear people get saying, oh yeah, we were conserving fuel. When you hear Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion, regarded as one of the very best F1 drivers in history, saying he's got to conserve fuel. You know, like I used to in my truck when I couldn't be bothered to fill up or I wanted to go to a service station that gave me a free sandwich with my fuel. I don't want to see Fernando Alonso doing that. It's the same in Formula E. I want to see them have rechargeable batteries and three pit stops so they're going flat out as fast as they can. And this stuff, Ryan, it's just, I I find it heartbreaking that this is a goal. Yes, be more economical, but surely we don't have to save those individual drops of fuel during a Grand Prix for the sake of the environment. Yeah, and um, I was watching a lot of motorcycle racing today because that seemed to be all that was on the telly. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. What are you on about? Okay. And you're watching them as well as the commentators going on the fact that Ah, oh, they're pushing the the uh, the bikes to the limit through this corner, and you can see the bikes just shimmering through the corners and all that sort of stuff. I'm sort of thinking, I remember when F1 used to be like that. I mean, I might have been young at the time, but I mean, I'd rather watch that than see someone like depressed at the end of the racing. Oh, uh, well, we had fuel. to conserve yeah. fuel at the end of it, and yeah, the tyres weren't particularly great because we had to conserve them, and so, I don't want to see that. So for me, Probably. it comes down to... Sorry, go on, Craig. Well, I, I, your but, point might be related. All I was going to say was there's too many things. Pick pick one if you want them to conserve things. There's too many things, tyres, fuel, etc., brakes. I kind moment. of agree with that. I think uh, the problem is with F1 is you have a set of rules and regulations that generate variables that the team have to overcome and the teams then overcome them and then mm. the variables have to be put back in again so when refueling was taken away you lost that strategy element uh, so you didn't really have any pit stops happening so you had to have two compounds of tire mm-hmm. so they had to change coming and change so it, it's it's introducing the variables back in to make sure that teams can be competitive with one another otherwise you're going to have a noah's Ark grid and then a Noah's Ark race of two by two. But more than anything in motorsport, the thing you want the drivers to be doing is pressing that accelerator pedal as hard as possible to get around the track. That's that's motorsport. Put petrol into the explodey thing to go forward very quickly. And that's why I was a fan of refueling, because at least they were they were going flat out and not having to think about preserving fuel to the end of the race um, they would only do that as a decision to save on on pit stop or or to extend um a stint anyway let's move on quickly matt i'm going to give you a tiny tiny bit of time to talk about this thing obviously all very sad to see mark Webber out of motorsport a much loved dude uh very very good on channel 4's coverage of formula one uh, definitely adds value to that but that brought you to mind matt of audi and their potential involvement or non-involvement in WEC and other motorsports. Yeah, that's right. Um, threw me a little bit of a curveball here. But basically, once again, for the umpteenth, and, and they do this every year, they've become the team that cries wolf. Every year we hear that Audi is done with WEC. And again, it's popped up on the internet about this time of year, that Audi is done. And a lot of it is due to the um, massive fraud perpetrated by Volkswagen uh, over diesel engines, which we've called Dieselgate over here. I don't know if they've got a name for it. No, I like adding gate to stuff. I think that's the meme that will never get old or die. No, it, it really won't. But in addition to that, you've got Porsche and Audi both being brands of Volkswagen Group. Porsche. Porsche, that is correct. And... But as part of my sort of reading of this story, it's become rather expensive. I don't know if you know this, to run a proper LMP1 squad up to 250 million a year, which is like more than Force India money. Yeah, wow. It ain't cheap. And what Audi are looking at is also a big regulation change to what I think, Ryan, if I'm correct, because you probably follow us more than I do. The, the all the LMP1 teams will be required to adhere to the 10 megajoule rule, which would require Audi to substantially change their current engine. Stop me if any of this is starting to sound familiar to F1 fans. <laughs> and so it may be that, that that would be the nail in the coffin. We know that they're looking to up their Formula E investment, and we know that we've got Porsche and um, already doing 
better or coming in and, and starting to take the glory in WEC again. But there's also a, always also a bit of a rumor about Audi and Red Bull that they may not get involved in F1 directly as a manufacturer. But, you know, Red Bull always wants their own engine and maybe Audi has something to offer them there going forward or into 2020 as a regulation change. So I just wanted to toss that out there. Yeah, and um, like you said, with it co- course costing so much money, have they thought of just running shorter races and then just taking the roofs off to save on material? That would be quite good. Get rid of some fairings, you know, make it all more, I don't know, open. Yeah, but then the arrow gets complicated and you got all the fancy bits hanging off. <laughs> all right, Matt, very, very interesting. I'm lying, it wasn't. We've got a quiz. As we know, the Formula One circus is heading to Austin. Yeehaw, the land of, well, we've got to say the land of Matt because you're the closest, I suppose. Yeah, although I'm still pretty far away. All right, well, we have a quiz supplied by Catman F1. That's Chris Turner of F1 Fanatic, who's given us five questions to test your mettle about the Austin Grand Prix. Craig, you ready for a quiz? You're going to have to win. Born ready. Born ready. You're going to have to beat these suckers. Let's start off nice and easy. These aren't my questions. Uh, Start off nice and easy. Which future world champion made his debut for BMW in 2007 at the USGP, replacing the injured Robert Kubica? Kubica? Kubica. Sebastian Vettel. Craig, do you agree? I agree. Matt, trumpets. You're going to go for a, a, a dodgy steal? Trifecta. It was Vettel trifecta you all get half a point well done question two austin is one of only five anti-clockwise circuits on the calendar next year name the other four uh no idea uh i want to say too late shut up baku (laughs) okay go on then baku baku um, craig shout them out if you got brazil um austria no it's wrong um yes marinas Abu Dhabi, yes. Is that Yes Marina's Abu Dhabi? Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that Abu is. That, that's anti-clockwise. And there's one Singa- more. Singapore. Singapore. You're right. Who said that? Actually, Ryan, you seem to have absolutely nailed this. Your track knowledge is amazing. Well, you know. I oh, don't try and play it cool. I, I, got, I got something that I got a, you know, nerd out on. For the listeners there, he had the smuggest grin, and then he composed himself and went, well, you know. Okay, Ryan, 27 points for that. Question three. Oh my God, Catman. Which two acts head up the billing at the post-race concert this year? Shout it out. Taylor Swift. <laughs> and The Roots. Uh, and it's The Roots, yeah. It was The Weeknd, but it's now Usher, Usher and The Roots. Yeah. It's, it's apparently it's Taylor Swift on Saturday and Usher on Sunday. Is Usher still going? Unbelievable. You left out The Roots, man. That's the important bit no, of that the, I'd like to see The Roots in concert. They I, sound good. I don't They're know. Amazing. Is that is that a person or a band or... They're a band. They're on a, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, his house yeah. Band. Yeah, no, no. They're fantastic. Yeah, what a good gig that is for them as well. Uh, on, uh, on, do you know what? Sometimes, I think, on Jimmy Fallon, they get warned what sound effects they're going to need. It could be. Controversial. That's, I can't, that's the mark of a prepared show, though, isn't it? I can't believe Usher's still going. You make me want to leave the quiz. I'm on. Okay, question four. The Fast Call USA Grand Prix in 2005 only had six starters after Michelin withdrew on safety grounds. The Ferraris. What? Ferraris. Go on. Going for a steal, Ryan. Are you going for a steal answer? True. True. Okay, right. Your answer is true. The Ferraris came home an easy one, too. But can you name the who came third? Ryan says true. Craig? Oh, no, uh, Craig? Tiago uh, Montero. Tiago Montero, any advance on that, Ryan? No. Matt? He's absolutely right. He is absolutely right. Tiago Montero driving forward. If Jordan. you can find the clip on YouTube of him on the podium, it's like he's won a world championship. And the hilarious thing is, is the Ferrari drivers walk off and he's completely on his own. I think <laughs> when it, Noreen Carthacane also managed to get fourth or fifth position in that Grand Prix as well. Purely, and he, I think he was last as well, but there was only that many on the grid. <laughs> Imagine if you just find yourself randomly in that position on an F1 podium. You've got to soak it in as much as you can. Um, a situation we might find Ma in in Formula E, Matt, is more than likely at some point yes. he's going to end up there. 
yes, when aliens destroy the first 18 cars in the race. You, you, is, that a, is that a possibility? Because I need to start watching Formula E. That's a possibility. Th- well, there is, because he was in one of the sort of backmarker teams, but he, he, which has now become Cheetah, which are spec'd exactly the same as the Renault team. Ah, I just heard aliens coming down and, and destroying the race. So I'd watch oh, that right, no. if that was a... I'd love to see race control's reaction to that. No, we're most likely alone in the universe in a vast emptiness. Actually, you know what? I got that wrong. It's going to be um, Skynet taking over Robo Race. Ooh, that would be good. Question five. Mark Webber <laughs> holds the WEC lap record around the circuit of the Americas in the Porsche 919 hybrid. But to the nearest second, how much slower is it than Sebastian Vettel's Red Bull RB8 Formula One lap record? Any guesses? Three. Two. You going for two. Craig's going for three. Matt, say any number. Matt's on another phone call. Say any number. All right, I'll do an impression of him. Any number. Eight. I think it's eight. Yeah, congratulations, Matt. It is absolutely eight. And so the winner of the quiz with 27 points is Ryan Ferret Ferris. Amazing. Well done, Ryan. First ever race victory. Yeah, and Craig, first ever guest panelist to not win the quiz. Um, I'd like a steward's inquiry into the point system. That seems a little bit random. There is no point system. Unlucky. So oh. <laughs> that inquiry will just be people staring at a blank piece of paper. It's actually, uh, there is no point system. That hurts my feelings. Craig, we've been delighted to have you on, adding a bit of class from Badger GP. Would you like to point our listeners at your organisation and you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on the Twitter machine at, at CraigNormanF1. Uh, our website is BadgerGP.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at BadgerGP for interviews, blogs, the f- world's best fantasy Grand Prix game. Loads of fun, loads of information. Go on then, Thanks tell us about me. this uh, fantasy Grand Prix game and, and put it again in the Missed Apex Facebook group. Uh, yeah, so I will put a link in there, but uh, the fantasy Grand Prix game is you get a budget to sign three drivers and three teams and they score points as the season goes along uh it's got over several thousand players this year and we've also got the likes of jenny gow will buxton simon lazenby all having their own special league so it's, really it's growing in numbers yes yes wow i'm okay. so surprised we're we're not bad no i know you're a big deal but i mean there's some heavy hitting <laughs> f1 media personalities in your fancy league that's amazing yeah, they have their own leagues as well, so you can try and beat them, which is quite fun. I will try and beat them. I will. <laughs> Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? You can... I'll try this because I've drank too much. At ferret115. That is IT, not ET. You know, we always used to have the rule, don't start drinking until the show starts, and that limits how drunk you can get before the end. Maybe we should put that back in. Yeah, probably. No, the thing is, I did it when the uh, show starts. I think I put too much gin in my tonic. <laughs> well, there. I'm just looking at Ryan and thinking, there's someone Martini would have no trouble with as, as a driver <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, where can people find you on the internet? And presumably you're selling some dodgy wares. I'm selling my wife's much less than dodgy books. At A Weaver Writes, Amanda Weaver on the Amazons, and you can find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters. Yeah, you should definitely do that. Follow at MissedApexF1. Followed me at SpannersReady. And why not come to www.spannersready.com? Make sure you join the live stream as well next week after Austin, and remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. With my old soundboard, I got a little graphic that told me how long I had left, so now I'm totally just winging it. Also, my dog ate my homework. <laughs> my head hurts. Yeah, that's well. fun. Thank that, you very much. That's because it's mostly oh. vacuum, Ryan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.